Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 231 The Dark Side of Dharma. We're joined this week by Willoughby Britton, a neuroscience researcher and meditator, to explore her research on the difficult stages of the contemplative path. This is part one of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vincent Horn, and I'm thrilled to be on Skype today with a very special guest. I'm joined today by Willoughby Britton. Willoughby, thanks again for taking the time to geek out with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be here. And I'll just say a little bit about um, your background to kind of give the geeks a sense of your uber geekiness, because you're definitely bringing a high number on the geek scale, and we always love that. So you are a trained clinical psychologist and neuroscience researcher. What does that mean exactly? I mean, that sounds like you're in the lab most days looking at weird charts of brain patterns or something. What does it mean to be a neuroscience researcher? Um, It means that I can do neuroscience research in a wide range of settings. So I can study, I could study animals if I wanted to. I can also study humans and humans that have all kinds of variations in their mental states, so clinical populations. The clinical degree gives me a lot of possibility. And when the funding dries up from NIH, I also have a job because the clinical end, I can also see patients if I need to. So you're like kind of recession proof that way. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) We'll see. Currently, um, you're currently working at Brown University where you're doing research. And, And that's actually a big part of what we wanted to explore with you today on Buddhist Geeks because the research you're doing is really relevant to the topics that we explore on the show. And the project that you're working on right now is called The Difficult Stages of the Contemplative Path. Yep. And I was wondering, could you just start off with giving us a brief description of the purpose of this research project and also maybe sharing with that your methodologies for how you're doing it? Yeah. So... The end purpose, which I think is easy to lose sight of, is to create an adequate support structure for yogis who are encountering difficulties in practice. So that's really where we're trying to focus our efforts. But in order to do that, we need to create, you know, subjective phenomenology. So really document all the difficulties that do arise. So there's a couple different ways that we've done that. One is to just talk to really established teachers, people like Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, people in the IMS and Spirit Rock communities. And we're just starting to branch out into other traditions too. And really ask teachers that have seen lots of students come through their centers, just a very open-ended question, what kinds of difficulties have you seen? And so that's the first question. And then we also ask them, you know, why do they happen in your opinion? And and then what do you do about them? So that sort of naturally turned into a description of a lot of students. They would tell these stories. 
And sometimes they would tell stories about themselves and then we'd say, hey, do you want to give us an interview about that? And then sometimes they would tell stories about their students. And we said, well, do you think any of these people would be willing to talk to us and sort of tell their own stories in their own words? And that's how we started getting in touch with um, a number of practitioners that have run into broadly defined difficulties. That's the way that we got the phenomenology. It's the subjective reports of what is actually happening. And then the second stage was after interviewing a number of teachers and practitioners, we had sort of a laundry list of, I used to call them symptoms, but I'll just say experiences. Then we sent them out to a number of Buddhist scholars um, in all different kinds of traditions. So Tibetan scholars, Pali scholars, all different kinds of Buddhist scholars. And we said, have you ever seen anything like this before in any of the texts that you study or any of these experiences showing up? Because we wanted to know whether this was something that was sort of known and expected within the range of contemplative practice and development, or whether this might be something that's new in America and maybe Americans are just meditating their way into insanity or states that they just aren't relevant. So we didn't really, we didn't know. So that was sort of the second stage of the project was to get feedback from text experts. So that's the sort of overview. And the, and the questions are very, very simple. The first question for a practitioner, so somebody who, you know, is somebody that's been sort of identified as, as having some difficulties, we just ask them, you know, what happened? And we want their language to be as plain as possible. So we ask them not to use any jargon or lingo, stay out of the Pali and Sanskrit if possible. Please don't use words like kundalini. We even tried to ha have them not use the word energy, but that's a tough one. So that's the first question. Just really, really simple language that we would be able to use in a scientific article. Plain language, no, no spiritual language if possible. And then the second question is, how did you interpret this? And their interpretations may have gone through many different iterations, depending on how long they were experiencing different things. And so an interpretation might be, well, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. That's a pretty common one. And then, of course, if they, if they sought help through typical Western medicine channels, a lot of them get diagnoses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, those are pretty common ones. And then there's a number of other types of interpretations within the Buddhist tradition that are also available that we can talk about. So that was the second question, is the interpretation. And I think that's actually a really, really important question. And then the third question was, what did you do? What was helpful and what wasn't helpful? Because a lot of, there's a lot of advice out there. Not all of it is actually that useful. And we want to know what people are actually doing in this day and age and what was actually helpful. So the idea is to have like a pretty much a giant manual. It's almost like a wiki to have a manual of a description, very plain description, a sort of array, a buffet of different types of interpretations because there's a lot of them and they don't always agree. And then a really practical manual for how to navigate these states and stages. Okay, cool. That's really interesting. And as you're describing that, the question that came to mind is, what got you interested in this line of research? And part of me, because I don't really know academia very well, I just think, how did they let you do this? How did you, <laughs> you even get a chance to research this? 
Yeah. Well, there, there were a couple different things that came up. One was when I was doing my residency in psych, I work, actually, I still work at an inpatient psych hospital. And while I was there, we had two admissions from people coming off a Goenka retreat. And I thought, you know, what are they doing up there? This hardly ever happens, but this was two in one year. So I thought this is interesting. And then ironically, I went on a retreat. When I finished my residency, I went on a retreat at the Forest Refuge and actually had all kinds of difficult, challenging states come up. And it was actually years before I ever realized, before I learned what they actually were. And I I had a lot of the same reactions that I mentioned. I thought that I'd gone crazy. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I, I mean, I really had no idea why I was suddenly having all these, like terror was a big, was a big symptom of mine, you know, and I found out much later that these were actually classic stages in meditation and that I was woefully uninformed, which I think is actually pretty representative of a lot of people. So I'm trying to sort of correct that lack of education. And it's interesting because we kind of have an interesting connection in that I know that a couple of the folks you've been collaborating with and I know have been very helpful are some teachers named Daniel Ingram and Kenneth Folk. And these are longtime teachers and friends of mine. And I also have heard them make similar critiques of mainstream Buddhist culture. And I found a lot of them to be very accurate in my own experience. And part of their approach is to speak very openly about states and stages and to share things they've learned. And I know that where you're coming from with this is quite different in that your, your research methodologies are very much more in the sort of academic arena and the types of questions and types of methods you use are, you know, established. Um, Whereas these are people that are just speaking from their own experience and some, you know, smattering of folks they know. But still, there's a kind of connection there. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about the stuff that you've found from Daniel and Kenneth and also from the other teachers you've been in contact with, what things have been helpful from those interactions in terms of moving your research forward and creating this manual? Well, the way that I found Daniel Ingram is actually pretty funny, so I'll tell the story. So I had a student working for me, uh, Zach Slosher. He's a religious studies student here. And he was in charge of sending out all these experiences to the Buddhist scholars and looking for textual references for them. So that was his job. And, you know, we got a lot of the Sudamaga references, but he kept saying, oh, I found this guy on the Internet. His name's Dan Ingram. You should really check out. He has a book. He wrote a book, and it's on the the website, it's a PDF. And so I checked it out and I saw, you know, the cover of his book that has like lightning going out of this Buddha and, you know, the Arhat designation. And I thought, no way, (laughs) you know, and, you know, my student kept talking about it and I was just like, you know, you're young, you don't know, like you don't know anything. And I just wouldn't listen to him anymore. And then he started sending me these incredibly accurate descriptions of my own experience and also of the interviews that I'd been doing of these practitioners. I mean, they were just, it was just so accurate. And I was like, where did you get this? And he's like, yep, that guy, Dan Ingram. So I thought, okay, he might actually know something. So we actually called him up and invited him out here and, and did a, like a day long interview, which you've probably seen. It's a, it's a very popular set of videos now where he went through all the stages of insight on video, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, we'll put a link in the episode notes too so people can check that out. Yeah. You know, in some way it's been it's been interesting because I sort of assumed that 
this sort of dark side of dharma or whatever you want to call it was a secret. But most teachers will will have just hours and hours and hours of things to say about I've never had a problem with a teacher not wanting to take an interview. I mean, we've, we've interviewed more than 40 teachers now. Jack is really, really uh, vocal and engaged on this topic. He actually wrote his dissertation on the phenomenology of intensive Vipassana practice, insight practice. So this is really something he knows a lot about and is also passionate about. And I think has he's seen a lot of it coming out of his out of his center. So, you know, the different teachers that I've interviewed have played different roles. Jack, for sure, has been my sort of cheerleader and champion. He's just really encouraged me to that the research is really important, that there's a lot of people that are struggling and need some guidance and to be just also transparent about my own experience that this happens, it's part of the path. And if I don't start talking about it, then it's still going to stay really hidden. So that's been Jack's role. And and we're actually going to be writing some papers together. We've been working on a variety of different book chapters and papers, and it's going, it's slow going, but that will be sort of a collaboration that we're working on. Kenneth and Daniel, I mean, are just fantastic examples of really embodying this openness. And I've spent a lot of time with both of them. It's just so refreshing to be able to talk about experiences, any experiences. And I know that some of the hesitation about talking about, you know, meditation experiences had to do with talking about attainments and about how great I am that I have have had this experience. And I think one of the unfortunate trickle-down effects of that hesitancy is that the really, really difficult experiences don't get talked about either. And I see that all changing now, that people are all over the place talking about these different experiences and really helping people through this dark night phase much, much faster than would have happened on their own. And, and, And a lot of people, at least the first round of it, went through it on their own, and it lasted years. And I don't think that's necessary. I think that with new technology and with all this communication, that this can be done much more communally and much more quickly. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, Abbot of the Village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and Pragmatic Dharma Provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting buddhistgeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community 
and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.